Good morning, SunWest. Um, just want to say a, a couple things before we dive into the, the series and get back to it this morning. Uh, first, just a huge thanks to Trinity Christian School. Uh, as you heard earlier, they have uh, allowed us to send our junior highs uh, to a different building, and that's always good news, right? Um, and so the, the reason we've done that is obviously just because we are a little tight on space here on Sundays, and we're trying to make tweaks as we go uh, to make sure that we're maximizing the space that we have uh, for those who want to attend on-site. So please, come, please keep coming to on-site, um, and we'll keep adjusting and doing what we can uh, to make sure that we can have uh, those who want to be on-site here. Uh, and so the first step to that was uh, moving junior high conversations to being a full service instead of just during the... Uh, during the speaking portion, and they'll be at Trinity Christian School at this point. So, a huge thanks to Trinity for that. Um, and then the second thing I just wanted to mention was the Discovering SunWest class, which Pastor Dave just mentioned, uh, is for those who are currently uh, CC members, Covenant Community members, um, as we uh, revisit uh, the changes that have gone on in SunWest last few years and, and realign ourselves with the direction that God's calling us together. But it is also for those uh, who aren't. Covenant community members. And so we just wanted to make that, that clear uh, that if you're interested in joining Covenant community or finding out more about what SunWest is, maybe you've taken starting point, you're like, I want to uh, lean in a little further. Uh, this is a great uh, class for you to take uh, regardless uh, of what you choose to do in terms of Covenant community and just finding out more about uh, our vision, our values, uh, and our mission together as a community. So this is a, a series, again, based on a, a book by Bruxy Cavey as, uh, and a series that they did at, at the church that Bruxy is at called The Meeting House, uh, and we're excited to go through uh, this series together, and it's, it's a look at the gospel, uh, which means the good news and what the good news is all about. We're looking at the good news for, uh, of Jesus for seekers and saints and sinners. So I'm not sure uh, which category of those you would put yourself in, whether you would consider yourself a seeker, a saint, or a sinner, uh, but that covers a pretty wide spectrum, so me- no matter who you are, where you're coming from, uh, I believe that this series is uh, for you. Uh, and so this morning, we're looking at the gospel in one word. If you could summarize the gospel in one word, what would it be? And just to give you a preview of where we're going to go, we're going to start with the gospel in one word. Next week, we're going to talk about the gospel in three words. And then uh, three weeks from now, we're going to talk about the gospel in 30 words. And and so they're not different messages, but they're all uh, expansions of the same theme and message uh, of the gospel, of the good news. Um, And the gospel is simple enough uh, for a child to understand, yet complex enough uh, that people can study it and ponder it for their entire lives. And so in that simplicity, we ought to be able to talk about the gospel in a very, very simple form. Uh, And so uh, if we were to summarize the gospel in one word, what word might you choose? There's lots of words that we could choose, uh, but perhaps uh, we could choose uh, the uh, the word salvation, or you could choose the word reconciliation, or welcome, or embrace, or rescue, or reconnect. Um, and uh, th- these words, or reunion, like this, the series is called, these words are close, but they're not quite close enough. Uh, and so I'm going so to propose a couple of runner-up words, and then we'll get to the, the main word, the gospel, in one word. The first runner-up word is the word uh, grace. The gospel of grace. It's referred to as the good news of grace in Acts, uh, in chapter 20, uh, in the New Testament. When people are referring to the good news of Jesus, they often refer to the good news of Jesus in the context of grace and use that word grace to describe it. Grace meaning that we have been given a gift, an unmerited gift, something that we didn't deserve, that God has given us freely, free of charge with no strings attached. 
Jesus brings us something that the religious system could not bring. And so last week we looked at the, we talked a little bit about religion. Uh, we'll get to that more further in the series. Uh, but religion, the things that we do to try and make our way to God, uh, the gospel, the good news is one of grace in which we actually didn't earn it by our effort, by the things that we have done, but it was given to us free of charge, no strings attached. Um, but Jesus used a different word uh, when he described uh, the gospel, uh, and that word is the word kingdom. So that's our second runner-up word is the word kingdom. Jesus regularly referred to his gospel as the good news about the kingdom. Early church leaders also used this phrase. Uh, the kingdom can be one of the most under- misunderstood concepts uh, in the Bible, though. Uh, and so when we talk about the kingdom of God, uh, many people have different ideas of what this might mean. Uh, the kingdom uh, the kingdom language is a very political language. Uh, and so even throughout church history, people have misunderstood what, what is being referred to when we talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus never spoke about the kingdom in a geographical, political sense. The kingdom of God that Jesus spoke about was always uh, the kingdom uh, that exists between us and God and between us and each other. It is the, the realm in which the king rules. Uh, you could actually translate the kingdom of God as the reign of God. That God is reigning, uh, and that everything under his reign is part of his kingdom. Uh, and a kingdom is more than a place where a king li- lives. It's a, this relational realm. It's a way of living together with a shared purpose, shared values, aligned under a, a common authority. Uh, and, and kingdom is a major theme when we talk about the gospel, and we're going to be looking at the theme of gospel as we move through the series, uh, but we're getting ahead of ourselves now. So if we were to talk about the gospel in one word, what word would we use? If it's not grace, if it's not kingdom, well, again, if we think a l- head a little bit to uh, Christmas, which is just around the corner, and we referred to this passage uh, last week, that there's going to be good news of great joy for all people. This was the proclamation that the angels gave. Uh, What followed that prelude, this great news of great joy for all people, was the announcement of a birth. It was the announcement of a person. So this good news, this gospel, is actually wrapped up in swaddling clothes in the form of a baby. And the good news... And if you don't know the answer to the questions that I ask in church already, you should know this now, is, everybody say it together, Jesus. Jesus. You know, it reminds me of, uh, the, you know, a kid in kids' church, he was asked the question, what eats nuts, climbs trees, and rhymes with girl? And the kid says, you know, it sounds a lot like squirrel, but I'm in church, so the answer is Jesus. Um, <laughs> and you are correct. Uh, the gospel in one word is Jesus. Jesus was God's messenger, but he was more than that. Jesus was both God's messenger and God's message. The medium is the message. And this is so important to understand if we're going to understand the gospel, because often when we speak about the good news or speak about the gospel and what that means, we truncate it, we don't actually understand the complexity and the breadth of it. And and the gospel is a universal message that is applicable for all time in every culture in every place, but the gospel, the origin of the gospel is is a person that was rooted in a specific time in a specific place in history. So the message 
is for all people, it's universal, it's for all time, but we have to understand that the message actually came at a particular point in history in a particular person named Jesus. There is no gospel without the historical life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection, and the return of Jesus. The gospel does not exist without him. Jesus is the good news. He is the gospel. And this is different from other spiritual beliefs or religions. You know, if you think of Muhammad and Islam, You know, Muhammad was clear that he was only a messenger and that people must turn uh, towards God. He viewed himself only as a messenger. If you think of of Buddhism, uh, you know, Buddha uh, had a message, a philosophy that was separate from who he is. You could could follow Buddha's philosophy without necessarily basing your life off of Buddha. Jesus is unique in that way. When we contrast Christianity with other religions, other belief systems, we recognize it's all about Christ. So Christianity is all about Christ. And Jesus uh, made claims that would show that he's not just talking about a philosophy, he's just not talking about a way of thinking and a way of living, but he is actually the gospel in and of itself. His person is good news. His person is gospel. That is good news of, that brings great joy for all people. And, and the Apostle Paul, when he was speaking of this, uh, he, he spoke about the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel is a message that shines light into this world, that puts Jesus front and center so he can show us who God is and what God is like. If God is like Jesus, this is very, very good news. If God is like Jesus, this is very, very good news. The gospel is a story about a person. So if you want to learn about the gospel, you have to learn about the person. And if you want to learn about the person, then you actually have to read the gospels. (laughs) So what does that mean? Uh, Well, the first, there's four books in your New Testament uh, that we refer to as the gospels. And why do we refer to them as, as that? Well, if you go to the beginning of Mark, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. Mark doesn't go into, after this verse 1, he doesn't go into abstract teaching about philosophy or theology. He doesn't give us four points of, you know, to summarize what the gospel is. Mark goes into the whole life story of Jesus, from birth to death to resurrection to return. His teachings, his miracles, his love for people, the way he challenges religion. All of this, in Mark's mind, is the gospel. When he begins his gospel, his gospel story, he says, what follows is the gospel of who? Of Jesus. Come on, I thought we covered this. The gospel of who? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Until we talk about Jesus, until we talk about his life, all of it, we actually aren't talking about the gospel. As you read the Gospels, you begin to learn many things about Jesus. And, and so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the four Gospels um, at the beginning of your New Testament because they describe the life, the teachings uh, of Jesus and what he was all about and how he lived. The medium is the message. And so as we encounter the Gospel story, we encounter the Gospel, which is Jesus. And we learn a few things about Jesus uh, as we read the Gospels. And the first one... And we're going to cover three kind of groundbreaking ideas, and there's many, many more than this, but just to kind of summarize some of the big ideas about Jesus, is that Jesus uh, is the Word of God. We're going to look at Jesus as the Word of God. We use word to refer to an entire uh, message, not just one word, but we we use that phrase uh, to refer to an entire message. As an example, um, you know, when I was 
you know, in junior high and high school, I would often have encounters with the principal, and he would say, can I have a word with you? And when he said, can I have a word with you, I knew we weren't going to sit down, and he didn't want to talk to me about a single word. He had many words uh, that he wanted to express to me. Uh, he had a message that he wanted to let me know about. Uh, and so when we use the word word, uh, we're not just talking about a word, but we're talking about an entire message, a theme. And so after the disciples spent three years living, uh, breathing, listening to Jesus, following Jesus, learning from him, they, con- they became convinced that Jesus somehow embodied God's essence unlike anyone else, unlike anything else. They believed that in Jesus, they saw God's ultimate self-disclosure about who he was. They didn't just believe that Jesus preached God's word, his message, but they believed that Jesus somehow was God's message. Now, this might sound like a very simple idea, but it's actually, uh, it's life-changing. And if we get this part wrong, we can get so many things wrong. Uh, Jesus was God's message. The disciples became convinced of this. If if you read the beginning of John, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, in John chapter 1, John says, in the beginning... Was the, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. John was convinced that the Word, the message of God was embodied in the person of Jesus. John makes it later, makes it clear that he's talking about Jesus when he gets to verse 14 in that first chapter of John. He said that the word uh, that has existed from the beginning that through which everything was created actually came to earth in human form. And this word is Jesus. The message became a man. The word came in Jesus. John would write in another one of his books uh, at the end of our New Testament, the book of Revelation, he would, he, he, would, uh, he would write that Jesus claims to be the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And when we use the term Alpha and Omega, those were the, that's the first Alpha, uh, first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last letter of the Greek al- alphabet. And so what John is saying is that Jesus is God's alphabet. Jesus is the way that God communicates his message to the world. God's message was not written through paper and ink, but through the flesh and blood of Jesus, the word made flesh. So this raises a bunch of questions that begins to confuse people, and it can confuse Christians especially because the Bible is often referred to as the Word of God. The Bible, but the Bible itself says that Jesus is the Word of God. So which, which is it? Christians are eager to read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize and meditate on the Bible. Uh, and we learn a lot about Jesus from the Bible. The Old Testament points towards Jesus. It prophesies about Jesus. It speaks about uh, God being up to something and gives us promises and prophecies and, and, and it causes us to lean in and wonder what God is up to and what he's doing. And then we see that Jesus is God's answer to all of those questions that were being asked in the Old Testament. From the New Testament on, 
We see an account of the life of Jesus. We, we, we have a record of those who were closest in proximity to Jesus. The Bible is our best historical record of Jesus because it was written before the end of the first century, just decades after the actual events in which they were recorded. So Christians also believe that this, these words are inspired. They're God-breathed and they're preserved by God to help uh, reveal who Jesus is and help us know how to live. So it makes sense that Christians would want to read the Bible, they would want to study the Bible, they want to meditate on the Bible because it leads us to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But we do all of that not because the Bible is God's ultimate self-disclosure, but because the Bible points towards God's ultimate self-disclosure. The Bible is like a window to look through in order to see Jesus. It's less like a painting, and it's more like a window. So if you think about a painting, we just sit there and we observe it and we look at it for the painting's sake. But you look through a window because you want to see what is on the other side of the window. And the Bible is more like a window than a painting. We don't follow the Bible. We read the Bible to follow Jesus. And there's a big difference between those two. There's a significant difference between those two. In fact, if we get that wrong, there's a whole bunch of things that we will end up getting wrong. Uh, And throughout history, you can see that the Bible has been used as a weapon. Uh, For example, if I follow the Bible, I could use the Bible to justify all kinds of violence from beating children to waging holy war to stoning other people. And I I haven't done those things very many times in my life. Uh, But if I did, you would say, well, that's kind of odd. But I I could actually uh, take the Bible, take the book, and justify all manner of things uh, based on the Bible. But if I follow Jesus, whom I read about in the Bible, he won't let me get away with any of those things. Why? Because Jesus is the message of God, and through the lens, through the window that the Bible is, that I see Christ, it actually allows me to read the Bible. Religious people throughout history have used the Bible as a weapon, and many people are still doing it today. Perhaps in those last couple of years, you've even seen that. Where people take a text of Scripture, where they use that text, and now they use it in an oppressive, violent way towards others. They open the Bible, they pick a verse out of context, and they add it to the arsenal of hate, and they use that as a weapon towards others. But the love of God that's revealed through Jesus challenges the approach to that system and that religious idea. The love of God revealed through Jesus shows us that there's a better way, but the better way we have found because of the Bible. So when we approach the Bible the way the Bible itself tells us to, with Jesus at the center, it becomes the ultimate context for every other truth that we learn in the pages of the Bible. Jesus becomes the lens through which we see the entire meaning of Scripture. In fact, Brexy Cavey says it this way in his book, Reunion. He says, Christ's followers believe in the inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word of God. And his name is Jesus. We believe in the inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word of God, and his name is Jesus. The religious leaders in Jesus' day were all about the Bible. They were all about the Holy Scriptures. They knew the Bible better than any of us. They spent, uh, you know, when we, when we go to school and we learn uh, math and science, well, and some of you learn that stuff, uh, but mo- some of us learn those things. Uh, when the Jewish kids went to school, they st- all of their subjects were the Bible, They just learned the Bible. That was their entire schooling system. And so when they grew up, what they knew was Scripture. They memorized Scripture. They had entire sections of Scripture just 
completely by memory. And so they knew it really, really well. Their, mo- their motto, um, the religious leader's motto, eventually over time became, if the Bible says it, that settles it, I believe it, then let's do it. And that led to a belief system that made room for all sorts of exclusions and violence. And it led Jesus, the actual word of God, to come in and challenge those religious leaders. And in one encounter, he said this to them. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So here in... Uh, lies the beautiful irony that we learn in the Bible that Jesus wants us to move beyond just learning about the Bible. And so if, if you think, if you look at Christ followers from the outside in, they look like any other religious group because we spend time studying and meditating uh, the scriptures. But we're very different because we don't believe that the scriptures themselves are God's ultimate revelation of himself. They actually are a window to point to God's ultimate revelation, which is Jesus. So we read the Bible to learn about Jesus, and then we follow Jesus, and then we just repeat that. And we can see this in the, uh, there's a story about the, uh, in Luke 24 about the road to Emmaus. And there's a couple of Jesus' disciples who are on the road and... Uh, and so just a, just a bit, bit of context there. They just experienced the death of Jesus. They witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. And then there was some ideas going around uh, that this, the, the Jesus who they had been following, uh, they don't know what happened to the body. You know, there was an empty tomb, and they don't know what happened. There were some people that said they, they have actually seen Jesus. And so there's this couple of disciples walking along this road to Emmaus talking about the current events and what's happening. And then this, this third person comes in, and he says, what are you talking about? And they have this discussion about what is going on. And, and so this is the context that we have in Luke chapter 24. And this third person that comes along them on the road is Jesus himself, but they do not recognize him. It's, the Bible says that, that God had actually kept his identity hidden from them at this moment. So he says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all, of the, all that the prophets have spoken, referring to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened opened the scriptures to us? You see, these disciples, they knew the Bible. And then they had this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus actually brought them through their Old Testament. He brought them through the prophecies. He brought them through the biblical books, and he explained to them all the things that had been said that actually pointed towards him. And so those disciples actually knew who Jesus was intuitively because they actually knew the scriptures. And so the scriptures pointed to Jesus. Jesus pointed this out. 
And then after they understood that, they could go back and understand the scriptures with even more clarity. And so I hope you can see how this works, that the Bible is actually given to us as a gift from God so that he can reveal the gospel to the world. And once we see the gospel, once we see Jesus, we can go back to the beginning and now we begin to see things in scripture that we might have missed the first read through. That Jesus unveils and shows us things that we missed all along, that we could only see when we understood the end of the story. Jesus becomes our guide through which we read the Bible itself. Thomas Adams says, the Bible is to us what the star was to the wise men. I love that. When you think of the Christmas story and, and the wise men followed the star and it brought them to Jesus, the Bible is to us what that star was to the wise men. So Jesus, one of the profound groundbreaking ideas that we see in the gospel in the beginning of the New Testament was that Jesus was the word of God. Jesus changed how we think about the revelation of God. That the Bible took a backseat to God's message in Jesus. So next, the next groundbreaking idea is that Jesus is the son of God. You know, some critics uh, will say maybe Jesus was a good Jewish rabbi, uh, maybe he was like this, this wise teacher, this, uh, this prophet, this philosopher that gave wisdom, um, but they deny any unique uh, claims about Jesus himself. The problem is that Jesus uh, actually doesn't uh, leave room for that. We'll talk about this a bit more next week. Uh, but if you're actually going to believe what Jesus said about himself, uh, he doesn't give you actually a lot of room to budge. To budge. And so if we take Jesus at his word, uh, he was more than a philosopher. He was more than a teacher. He was more than a prophet. He was more than those things. In fact, in, in Mark chapter 12, uh, we have a story, a parable that Jesus gives about a landowner. And this landowner has tenants on his land, and these tenants are refusing to pay their rent. And so what the landowner does, he sends a succession of servants back to the tenants so they can pay his servants so he can get the money for the rent. And he sends servant after servant, and they, they beat the servants that he sent. They ridicule the servants that he sent. Uh, they even kill some of the servants that, uh, that the landowner sends. Uh, and then the parable says uh, that the, the landowner had, had one more person to send, and it was his very own son, the heir. And so he sent his son to the tenants, and these tenants even killed his son. The story is simple, but it reveals something fascinating about how Jesus viewed himself. These, these servants that were being sent to uh, the tenants were representative of uh, the messengers of God in the Old Testament, the prophets of God, that God would send prophets to his people uh, to talk to them, and they would beat them, and they would kill them. And then, and then Jesus says that God then resorted to sending his very own son. Jesus claiming in this parable that he is the son of God, that he is in some ways unique and different from every other messenger that has ever came before him. Jesus did not view himself as another rabbi, another teacher, another prophet. He viewed himself as someone uniquely qualified to show us what God looks like through his family resemblance to the Father. Jesus shows us what the infinite God looks like in finite form. The word became flesh. Listen to what the apostle Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. In other words, 
You know, all these, these questions and all these, uh, these hints and events that all happened throughout the, the history, throughout the Old Testament and the Old Covenant time, uh, they were all glimpses of what God was like, but ultimately God was most clearly revealed in Jesus, that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. Now listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. You you hear these themes that John was even talking about in chapter 1 of his gospel. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the exact representation of his being. He uniquely shows us what God is like in the way that the Bible actually doesn't. The Bible points us to Jesus, and Jesus makes clear what the invisible God is like. Now, I don't know uh, if you're much of a puzzle person. Uh, Any puzzle people here? You're a unique breed. Uh, every, Every Christmas... Uh, my wife and my brother-in-law uh, get together and they spend about three days working on a puzzle together and I don't get it. I can, I can honestly say um, in my 17 years of being married to Lisa, I have never placed one puzzle piece in any of her puzzles, not one. <laughs> and she's done hundreds. Um, and so I'm not a fan of puzzles, uh, but I have seen them uh, at Christmas time working on these puzzles, and I've, I've, I've picked up a thing or two just by observation of how you ought to do puzzles. Uh, and one of the things that you need to know when you do puzzles is um, apparently uh, what you're supposed to end up with is supposed to look like what's on the outside of the box, yes? Right? And so... Uh, what happens is, is that when the puzzle process starts, they take the puzzles and they dump them out all over the place. And so that's a thousand-piece puzzle. Uh, Lisa did tell me if you use my puzzle to do that, I will ne- I'm never going to do that puzzle because just the chance that you didn't find every single one of those pieces. And I got to do... <laughs> If I got to do 999 pieces and I get to the last one, I'm going to be so angry with you. So this is a throwaway puzzle. Um, so you could, you could picture history kind of like this, that we, uh, we've been, we have parts of the picture. We have glimpses of what God is like. We have glimpses of what God is up to, that he's been doing something from the beginning of creation and he's been building on that and he's up to something and, and he's inviting people into a bigger story other than themselves and that there's a redemptive story at work and although we don't know exactly where it's heading, we see all of these pieces. We all see all these, these parts of the story. But if you were to go and put these puzzle pieces together, If I told you, take all these thousand pieces and go put it together, uh, you would have a very, very, very difficult time uh, with it. Uh, In fact, I would say it's, maybe it's impossible, but maybe maybe some of you could figure it out. Um, But what we do when we don't actually put Jesus in the center of the gospel story is we have all these thousand fragments of a story that we're trying to put together. Jesus is the picture of, on the outside of the box. Jesus is God's picture 
on the box. And if we stare at him, I mean, don't look too closely. This is kind of a weird puzzle. You can understand why my wife wanted to give it away. Uh, but if we, if we stare at Jesus, if we look at him, if we keep our eyes focused on him, he gives us the big picture of how these pieces fit together. We can begin to assemble the puzzle pieces of history. The, we can begin to assemble the puzzle pieces of the scriptures. We can actually see fully what God is up to and what he has been up to. But if you take away the box, it becomes very, very difficult to actually put all these pieces together on their own. And in Colossians, again, it says that, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. That Jesus is the whole picture. The word became flesh and made his home among us. The word was with God. The word was God. The word was God. And that God came and made his home among us. That Jesus is the exact representation of God when we look at Jesus, we see what God is like. Now, throughout history, uh, people didn't necessarily always know what God was like. But through Jesus, now we do. Alan Hirsch says, when we see Jesus, we see what God is like. That's what I just said. I just quoted Alan Hirsch without knowing about it. Um, Alan Hirsch is a really smart guy, but he's able to make the simple observation that Jesus is like God. Jesus, the Son of God, He's the exact representation of God. He shows us what God is life, like. Uh, and so this is the second groundbreaking idea when we start to understand the gospel, the good news in one word, the good news in Jesus, is that he changes the way that we see and understand God. That we are followers of Jesus. We're actually not followers of the Bible. The Bible points to Jesus and then we follow him. Now let's look at the third groundbreaking truth uh, that happens when we discover Jesus as the gospel. Jesus is the truth of God. Uh, how many of you like potlucks? A few of you guys like potlucks? Um, you know, growing up, I, you know, I grew up in a small town, and we had uh, every church event seemed to have a potluck. I mean, at SunWest, we don't know how to do potlucks. So if we, if we, revi- if we rewind, you know, pre-COVID, you know, if we can remember that far back when we actually sat together and ate together, and, uh, you know, every once in a while, we would ha- we'd have potlucks, and, um, and people would pick up, Tim Horton's Timbits on their way to a potluck dinner. Uh, and I'm not against Tim Horton's. Uh, but the whole idea of potluck is you, you bring your flavor, you bring the thing that you do well, that you cook well, and uh, you bring that to the potluck. And so growing up, going to potlucks, you know, you had like four or five lasagnas, and it was like a lasagna off. Like, you know, did, did Miss Friesen make the lasagna better than Miss Clausen? Let's, let's find out. And then you would share notes with your friends. It's like, which lasagna was better? And, uh, you know, they'd say, well, this one is actually way better than that one. That one wasn't quite fully done. Um, that one was made with craft cheese singles. That one actually has real cheese. Uh, and, and so you'd compare these notes. And then you'd have lasagna. You got quiches. You got sausages. You got, and, and, and you, would, you would figure out. You, you go through the, the potluck line the first time, and you'd kind of taste everything a little bit. And then you'd figure out, okay, those are the go-to dishes. And then you'd go back through for real and you pick those five or six things that you really, really, really liked. Now, uh, this is great for eating food and eating potlucks, but it's not great when we think about philosophy and spirituality. We live in a polytheistic world. We live in, in a pluralistic world where we believe in many gods, we believe in many truths. We, 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 we kind of believe in this, uh, th- this vague spirituality in the world that we live in where we think, think we can piece together what we like. You know, I like this from Buddhism. 
You know, I like this from, from New Age. I, I like this from, from this author, from this philosopher. You know, I like this part about Jesus and I didn't like this part. And, and we kind of create this, this plate of spirituality to our preferences and our liking. If we do that, we are actually not followers of Jesus. We're followers of our culture. I mean, I love potlucks. Pick and choose what you want. But we can apply the same thinking of potlucks to faith. If there is something, if there is absolute truth, um, which there has to be, uh, we, li- we live in a culture that denies this idea that there's an absolute truth, that uh, we say that dr- truth is subjective, and so you can pick and choose what you want. Uh, that, that, the whole concept breaks down, because if something is true, then it is true absolutely. And Jesus reveals himself as the truth, of God. In fact, he says about himself in John 14, verse 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. The gospel is centered on Jesus, and if it's, if it's centered on anyone else, then it is by definition uh, a logical impossibility. It is impossible to have multiple centers. Jesus says he's the center of the gospel, that he is truth. And if he is absolutely truth, then yes, you will find Grains of this truth in philosophy. You will find grains of this truth in other religions. If Jesus is the ultimate truth, then it, then it must be reasonable and rational that if other religions and philosophies have even touched on truth, that they would have resemblances of what Jesus has taught, yes? But yet, Jesus claims that only in him is ultimate truth. You'll get echoes of it everywhere else, but you won't actually encounter truth as a person outside of him. Like it or not, the gospel is all Jesus start to finish. The uncompromising centrality of Jesus is hard for some of us to accept because we live in this pluralistic potluck kind of world. But the potluck world actually doesn't work out. It doesn't, it doesn't rationally work if things are actually true. Jesus is not someone that you take and then you add on other things that you like. Jesus is the gospel full stop, period. Jesus is truth. Jesus is the son of God that was revealed to us to represent what God is fully like. Jesus is the word of God in which the Bible points to as the ultimate revelation of who God is and what he's like. If we start adding to Jesus, we end up with less, not more. In fact, in 1 Peter, he said, through him, Through Jesus, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Um, And this is an interesting kind of posture that Peter takes because he's saying, uh, you can start with philosophy, you can start with rationality and reason, you can start by looking at other religions, Uh, you can even start in our own religion and go back to uh, Judaism. Uh, You can start anywhere and try and find truth. But he's saying, through him, through the picture on the box, you will realize truth. Rather than saying, I'll start by deciding if I can believe in God based on all these other things and, and, and figure it all out. Jesus, he's saying, you don't have to figure it all out. Jesus has helped you figure it out. Just focus on him, and then you'll find truth. Peter recommends this better way. We start with Jesus. We start with him. He is the all in all. He's the alpha the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And so if you start with him, then you will begin to see everything more clearly. He will lead us into the truth about God's existence, about God's character, about what God is like, about what God invites us to, about the story of God in which we're invited to be a part of. 
I'm going to invite you to stand as we close, and I want to stand if you're, uh, sorry, please stand if you're able. If, I want to invite you to the gospel simply, and I think sometimes we have overcomplicated it. Sometimes we become our own worst enemies, and we, we create problems and conundrums and questions, and it's not that God is against our questions. We just did a whole series based on those questions, but ultimately, if we start with questions, if we start with the potluck, if we start with, you know, all these ideas we're trying to make sort of all these puzzle pieces, we start with history, we start with even the Bible and, and trying to figure out how it all works together, you will find that job very, very challenging. Uh, God wanted to make it easy for us, so he sent his son, the exact representation of his being, and I would encourage you to start with Jesus. Start with Jesus. Start with the conviction and the belief and the faith that Jesus is the good news, that he is the Father fully represented to you. And then begin to look at life, look at history, look at scripture with the lens of Christ. SunWest's mission is to guide all people into a lifelong authentic relationship in Jesus. And we've been unrelenting in that focus for over 25 years. Why? Because we believe as soon as we get that one piece right, everything else falls into place. As soon as we recognize that that is the, the face on the puzzle box, we can begin to put the pieces of our life together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God of good news to bring great joy to all people and that this good news can simply be summed up in Jesus, your son, your word, your truth. Lord, often we make complicated what you made simple. Often we try to add things into this good message that make it less than good. Uh, Lord, would you return our hearts back to the simplicity of the gospel? Lord, may we begin to look at life. May we begin to look at the scriptures through the lens of Christ. May we begin to see the puzzle pieces in our life uh, in light of the big picture that you've already revealed to us. Lord, I pray for those in the space that are, uh, might be seekers. Uh, Lord, that you would help them actually find ultimate truth uh, through your Son. Lord, we pray for those who view themselves as sinners that aren't good enough uh, actually to be in relationship with you. I pray that you would just destroy that lie because you sent your Son to destroy that lie. That there is no one that is bad enough, no one that has made enough mistakes that you cannot love them, and that Jesus was your full self-disclosure, that he loved us to the point of death. So Jesus, we put you back in center. We put ourselves out of center and recognize that that is the good news, that we become fully alive, fully who you created us to be when you are in the center of our lives. Pray to this end in Jesus' name. Yesterday, um, I had the honor and the privilege of um, leading a, a funeral of uh, my wife's grandpa, Grandpa Abe. And, uh, and Abe was a pastor for over 40 years. Um, and he had an unrelenting calling and vision that Jesus was central to everything. He gave his life in the service of one thing, one person. Uh, and it's amazing what funerals do as you reflect on life. 
uh, and it begins to put everything that we go through in our day-to-day life into perspective all of a sudden, doesn't it? You know, all the things that we worry about, all the things that we stress about, all the things that we prioritize, um, all of a sudden they get reprioritized when we think uh, through things with the end in mind. Uh, And I felt reminded again yesterday that if I were to give my life to one thing, um, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And nothing else really matters. And as we reflected on Abe's life, it it became clear that that one focus left a legacy that was far bigger than him. It stretched far wider than him. It impacted friends. It impacted churches. It it went across provinces, uh, not because of him, but because of Jesus and because he gave his life to the service of Jesus. I want to invite you to give your life to one thing. We were created to give our lives to one thing. We were created to be in relationship with God. We were created to actually know God. And Jesus is God's full self-disclosure for us to do that. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, if you have never made him the center of your life, I would invite you uh, to do that this morning. As I close in prayer, I would invite you to pray uh, in your heart. Uh, It's not complicated. It's simply moving yourself out of the center, moving whatever you might have in the center of your life and saying, I believe that Jesus is God and I'm going to give my life to God. I invite you to pray with me. Uh, If you've never taken that step before and you're doing that this morning, uh, I'd love to chat with you. Our prayer teams would love to pray with you after the service. If you want prayer for anything, uh, we would love to pray for you. Father, again, we just, uh, I thank you for reminders, um, uh, reminders uh, like I had yesterday. Thank you for um, people like Abe and thousands of others that have made you the center of their lives. Uh, And Lord, because of that, they can live life fully in light of the challenges, in light of the ups and downs, but come to the end of life and say, I don't have any regrets because I made what was central, central. And so, Lord, I pray right now, whether we um, have known you for a long time or maybe there's some here that have never put their faith in you, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would be the center, that you would be the center of my life, that you would be the center of our lives, that, Jesus, you would take your central place, that we would view all of life through the lens uh, of your son, Jesus. Uh, if you've never given your life to Jesus before, I, I would just invite you to pray in your heart right now that, Jesus, I thank you for coming to earth. I thank you for your life. I thank you for your death. And I thank you for your resurrection. I thank you for the forgiveness I have through your son. I want to live for you. I want to follow you. And I want you to be the sole focus of my life name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you're beginning that journey with God, I would love to chat with you. Uh, Our prayer teams love to pray with you. Uh, Have a great week. Uh, Starting point week three after service in the staff lounge. Uh, We'll see you next week as we talk about the gospel in three words.